2: Enter the kingdom in IMAX, now playing, and theaters everywhere. Get tickets
3: now. Seton, what if I told you there's a bacon, then there's number one thick-cut, tastes-like-a-touchdown-in-your-mouth bacon?
4: You must be talking about Wright brand bacon, Mm -hmm. because they are not playing when it comes to the premium quality of their bacon.
3: It's thick-cut, hand-trimmed, and real would smoke real. And you could tell. So why settle for average bacon when you can have the real stuff? That's right. And if you're looking to upgrade any meal, any meal, try Right Brand Bacon. That's called Right Brand Bacon. You won't regret it. Experience bacon the right way.
5: Restrictions apply. Prime membership required for add-on subscriptions. See amazon.com slash prime for details.
1: You are listening to The Dan Patrick Show on Fox Sports Radio. Baseball
6: didn't have anywhere near full houses yesterday or last night, but just partial crowds made all the difference for me watching opening day. I spent a lot of time watching the Rockies and the Dodgers, watched a little bit of the Tigers yesterday, uh, a little bit of the Astros and the A's, And you forget about the Astros got off kind of scot-free where the fans were going to be all in on the Astros and uh, with the cheating scandal. Well, with the pandemic, fans weren't able to go out. And the Oakland fans, the ones in attendance, were letting the Houston Astros know that, uh, hey – we got to make up for lost time with last year where we didn't get to uh, boo you. Yes, Todd?
0: Yeah, virtual taunting kind of falls <laughs> short. You really kind of have to be on top of them at this, on the field.
6: And there were a few fans let in during the playoffs, but for the most part, stadiums were empty last season. And uh, no more piped in or fan noise, cardboard cutouts. Uh, and, and just listening to the crowd made a really big difference. And, you know, the poor person who's producing a TV you know the TV portion of the game. I mean, has to be so relieved. Imagine a cutaway to a fan who is an actual fan, not a cardboard cutout. Uh, I mean, let's face it, baseball. There's a lot going on in the stands. Sometimes there's more going on in the stands than on the field. But uh, the for the people lucky enough to be able to go to a baseball game, and McLevin and I were talking about that yesterday. Just to be able to go to a game, like, yeah, I, I miss it. Just sitting there even if there's nobody around me, but just sitting there and taking in a game on a sunny afternoon would be
5: awesome. Yeah, McLeod. We were talking on this side of the glass. Uh, I had never been to an opening day game because they were always during, when I was a kid, they were during the day. Yeah. Uh, and Pauly, though, however, got to skip school. Like I think that would be a cool experience. I don't know if you ever got to go in Cincinnati because
6: that was the first game, right? Yes, we would just skip school. But Paulie actually brought a note to school asking for the day off to go see the Cubs opening day. Yeah,
3: yeah 84 and uh, Cubs opening day, and I went to a Catholic school, and the nun was in, the principal, Sister Judith Ann, and I actually told her, I'm taking the day off tomorrow to go see the Cubs play. And she appreciated my honesty. Instead of making up something like I have a family uh, thing or a dental appointment, And it was Dwight Gooden's first game, and Dwight Gooden got rocked by the Cubs, and he was really skinny, and no one knew who he was, and the Cubs were really good in 84, but it, was, it happened to be Dwight Gooden's first game as the Cubs home opener.
6: Yeah, I got to see a couple of home openers because it was always like a noon start in Cincinnati. It used to be a really big thing. By the way, you know, with baseball, and we, we have this discussion every year at this time, it feels like, when you have teams in the Northeast playing home games at the beginning of April. It's interesting TV. The Tigers game was really fascinating yesterday where it's snowing. Miguel Cabrera... Hits a home run, doesn't know it's a home run. He thinks that he's hit a double off the wall and he slides into second base. Not many guys slide into second base after hitting a home run, but Miguel Cabrera did that yesterday. I still don't know why you're not able to move those games to areas where you know the weather's just going to be a little bit better and ensure that you're going to be able to play a game because the Red Sox had their game rained out yesterday. COVID affected uh, the Mets in the Nationals. I would have had another game at that time last night would have been beneficial. Not that you know, or knew that COVID was going to impact you, but for TV purposes, ESPN has that exclusivity and they wanted that and didn't have a backup plan there. And uh, if you tuned in to watch baseball, there was no game last night, but watching yesterday, uh, certainly there was an awkward moment with, uh, the Dodgers game with the Rockies and, uh, You had what you thought was a home run with Cody Bellinger. Here's the play-by-play call. This is uh, AM 570, the uh, Dodgers radio network, and uh, this is a call of Cody Bellinger. Bellinger with a fly ball to left center field and deep back to the wall,
0: and it is off Tapias' glove over the wall and a home run. Now, wait a minute. Well,
1: are they going to say that a fan interfered? And Dave Roberts is coming out. I so, look, that's got to be a home run, guys. And the umpires, I think, are going to be looking at this one. And are they going to get a replay? Bellinger's still standing out on the field. The umpires are talking to him. Turner wasn't sure what in the world was going
6: on. That's Charlie Steiner with the call on KLAC. And the outfielder had the ball and then lost it. And Justin Turner doesn't know if it's a home run or not. So they pass each other. So Bellinger had a home run, but then it turned out to be an RBI single and then an out. Yeah, Paul.
3: If I'm a Dodgers fan, to me, that's funny. When you're coming off winning the World <laughs> Series, I think the Dodgers won like 72% of their regular season games last year, which has to be some type of record. That's funny when you're the defending World Series champs. Losing an opening day is no big deal when you're the World Series champ. Here's the Dodger manager, Dave Roberts.
7: The explanation I got, Eric, was uh, ball that you know, ultimately went out of the ballpark. But Cody, the batter runner, passed Turner. So when that happens, then the batter's automatically out. All
6: right. So kind of bizarre yesterday. Clayton Kershaw got roughed up. But uh, it was beautiful weather in Colorado. You, You could see Bellinger's waving his hands at Turner. He's like going, what are you like? Go back. No, what are you doing? You just cost me. Yes, Todd.
7: Yeah, Turner thought it was caught, so he felt like he had to you know, go back to uh, first base, and they were like, they totally got confused and totally
0: passed each other and screwed up the whole thing.
1: Thank you, Todd. You're welcome. Be sure to catch the live edition of the Dan Patrick Show weekdays at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app.
5: Restrictions apply. Prime membership required for add on subscriptions. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details. Did you ever play the over under game with your friends? You know, think I can eat that slice of
6: pizza in under 30 seconds? Or, I don't know, take over a minute to down a two liter? Well,
5: Jeff Perlman has
6: uh, written the book, New York Times bestselling author of nine books, host of the Two Writers Slinging Yang podcast, Showtime, Magic, Kareem, Riley and the Lakers dynasty of the 1980s. And now HBO making it into a series. Jeff, good morning. Um, how surprised were you that you hear from me? How did you hear from somebody who decided that this would make for a great series?
7: So there's a guy named Jim Hecht and he's a, he's a writer. And I only knew him cause I, I looked at his IMDB page and he was the writer of ice age, the meltdown. That was his main credit. And he wanted to come to my house and, and sort of talk to me about the idea of turning this Laker book into a, he's like, I just think it could be something. And he shows up at our house. This is when we lived in New York in New Rochelle, New York. And he shows up with a, a block of chocolate, a tomato, and a bottle of fake wine. Like that was his, his wooing material that he brought. It was, I think he was at Grand central and just needed to bring something. And he shows up at our house and he's like, I just really think this could be something good. And I don't know. And we're like, all right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause if you do this long enough, you do get stuff options and it almost never becomes anything. I've had stuff options m- many times by now and it never becomes anything. And here's this guy, ice age, the meltdown, Jim hacked. And you think this is going to be nothing. And that was probably seven years ago. And now, I I don't know how this happened. I swear to God, I have no idea how this happened. It's the craziest thing that's ever happened in my career. What's the status of the production? They're starting to to film, and they did the pilot already, and they're starting to film multiple episodes in a couple of days, actually. And it's fully cast, and it's unbelievable.
6: A lot of times, we look at a sports movie, we think it's a sports movie, but it's about relationships. And I don't know if it's different in a series, because... You know how much of this is about actual basketball, or the relationships within the basketball team, or you know Jerry Bus or Pat Riley. So, can you give us a sense of what you think the direction is of Showtime?
7: Well, I think they're they're very hyper into the sort of development of the dynasty, at least at this point, and sort of uh, not just Jerry Bus, but how he became Jerry Bus, and um, you know the 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 blooming of Magic Johnson. Um, one thing they've done that I, I think is really cool is if you look at the the cast, they've combined a lot of really established actors playing these big roles. Um, you know, Adrian Brody, Sally Field is different. And then like the guy playing Magic, who's awesome, is this guy named Quincy Isaiah He's is just a young sort of unknown actor. And it just seems like they're really emphasized the blooming of relationships and the development of these characters, not just. It's not just going to be a stupid, you know. Uh, look at them play basketball. We're just going to throw a bunch of balls out there and have actors play basketball really poorly. I think it's going to be more about the development of the characters, which is what you try to do in a book. How do you cast Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? You get someone very tall. <laughs> uh, the guy playing him was a uh, play basketball at Cal, so um, they casted very tall. I mean, I don't. You know, it's it's interesting because I've I've learned a lot. Um, about sort of what goes into it and how it's not just about height. Like you don't just want a seven foot two guy if all the other actors are, are five foot 11. So everything is in ratio and everything is relative. Um, I actually learned a lot just from observing and, and sort of being kept in the loop about everything and how it goes down. What's the one thing that you took away
6: from your book that you didn't know? Like it became a lot larger or it stayed quieter than uh, you thought it was going to.
7: I actually, at the time I was unaware of the sort of demons of Jerry West. I always thought growing up and then watching basketball, that Jerry West was just calm, cool, collected. And then you, you really get to know him and learn about him. And he's a really tortured individual. It's kind of what makes him great. But the, the, everything he's gone through in his boyhood, uh, sort of abuse that, the, the, He's just, he reminds me a lot of Billy Bean. You have probably experienced a lot of Billy Bean, the kind of the, where he can't watch a game. Yeah. I remember covering the A's, and Billy Bean could not watch a game. And Jerry West is basically Billy Bean. I always found that torture really interesting.
6: Yeah, he's brought that up a couple of times. That you know he had a shotgun under his mattress, and he was going to kill his dad who was abusing his mom. And he said he used to drive around like he couldn't even be in the building sometimes oh. with the Lakers with these big games that he would drive around uh, and then wait till the game was over. Also, just
0: one
7: one thing that's interesting, you mentioned in the intro of Norm Nixon and Magic Johnson, the trading of Norm Nixon and um, Magic Johnson was thrilled when Norm Nixon was traded. He was not upset. Um, Oh, there there was a real conflict between those two. Uh, Norm Nixon had been the established point guard and really viewed as his team. And then Magic comes along and they kind of hand it to him and it's his team. And there was no way it was going to work having those two point guards there. it's not like they hated each other but it was not a very good on-court basketball relationship
6: how tough was riley on these
7: players oh, i mean it's interesting he came in and when he arrived he was a he was a completely inexperienced you know been a, a radio guy you know had been with chick hearn and then he uh, he's an assistant under westhead and suddenly he's a he's a head coach and everyone's like oh it's it's pat riley laid back pat riley and over the years, he he developed this term called uh, peripheral distractions. That was his thing. We can't have any peripheral distractions. And peripheral distractions meant the media, it meant wives, it meant girlfriends, it meant anything that took away from the team at all. And he became sort of hyper intense about it. And by the time he was done, by the time his run ended, uh, the Laker players wanted nothing to do with him because he was just had gone way over the top.
6: But if you... I remember when Wright Thompson did a profile on Pat Riley and then you got an idea because when Wright does a a deep dive, you're going to find out about that person and you realize that's Pat Riley, you know, perfectionist, never happy, uh, you know, what he grew up with with his father. And, you know, I I would hear stories, but I was never close enough that they just they kind of tolerated him. You know, at the end, they sort of just tolerated Riles and but. He had definitely worn out his welcome. What's part of the book that you might um, be not nervous about, but, you know, maybe how do you capture this in, in the true uh, sense of what it really was in the book?
7: So there's um, my favorite moment of all the stuff I wrote about for that book is um, Magic Johnson's arrival in Los Angeles. And there's, there's this moment um, that I just love. He comes to L.A. for the first time. To negotiate with the lakers and he's being driven in a limo down some street and he sees oranges growing on a tree and he tells the guy to stop the car and he gets out and he picks an orange because he's just blown away by this idea that i'm in this land where fruit is growing on a tree and i just think the essence of that team and that era and everything about in that book can be summed up in magic johnson picking an orange from a tree and just i don't know how I'm not saying you can't do it, how you capture the sort of late 70s, early 80s guy who's never been to California, his life about to change forever, all embodied by the beauty of an orange on a tree and just being dazzled by that fruit sitting there. I love that. I don't know if I don't know how you capture that, but I just think it's the most beautiful thing.
6: Was there one move that almost didn't happen or or the other way, like they made a move and, and it benefited them?
7: well the 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 trade that almost happened that almost um ended the jerry bus jerry west marriage was uh they almost traded james worthy to dallas for mark aguirre and jerry bus agreed to the deal with don carter the mavs owner um behind jerry west's back and goes and says to jerry west "Oh, we have this deal worked out and on paper that's a complete that's a very very fantasy basketball kind of trade we're like this is amazing mark aguirre (laughs) averages 25 a game and then you're stuck with Mark Aguirre and Jerry West said, if you make this trade, I'm done here. So that trade, I think almost ruined everything.
6: Did they almost not get magic or pass on magic?
7: Well, they, um, the first choice of, uh, of Jerry West, he's loath to talk about this is, uh, was Sidney Moncrief out of, out of Arkansas. It's actually an interesting thing though. I, I always say this,
6: I mean, hall of famer. If
7: they, if their backcourt is Sidney Moncrief, Norm Nixon with Kareem at center, Jamal Wilkes at one, that's not a bad team. Yeah. It's not, it's not the Showtime Lakers, but they're still probably, they're certainly in the in the topic of a of a championship. But you know, Moncrief did not have the charisma and the spark one that razzle dazzled with match to Johnson. But it was it was definitely considered strongly.
6: But also the style that they played, Jeff, that it was Showtime. Was Riley a fan of Showtime?
7: Yeah. Well, you know, the thing that's interesting is it started. Their first coach was a guy named Jack McKinney. He was a coach. People forget about this. The first coach, actually, um, Jerry Tarkanian was supposed to be the coach, and he Jerry Bus hired Jerry Tarkanian. They agreed to it, and then and then Jerry <laughs> Tarkanian's agent turned up dead in the trunk of a car, and that Tarkanian decided not to take the job. True story. Then they hired. Jack wait, wait. McKinian. Is there
6: is there a backstory on that, Jeff? That sounds
7: like a movie. Yeah. Well, there are a lot of there were a lot of mafia ties and. I forgot exactly what the agent had done, but he did, he crossed some line you weren't supposed to cross and they end up being killed. And oh this was a close friend of Tarkanian and Tarkanian decided he couldn't take the job. Just, there's too much going on, blah, 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 blah. But then they hired Jack McKinney, who had been a, a longtime St. Joe's assistant, uh, head coach, uh, Jack Ramsey's assistant in Portland. He's the head coach and everything's going great. And he puts in this system that became known as Showtime and I think it was 14 games or 11 games into his first season. It's a day off. He has one assistant coach in the quaint days of the NBA. Uh, Paul Westhead. They're going to play tennis. Jack McKinney is riding his bike to yeah. meet Paul Westhead. Falls head head over heels, um, lands on his head. It's amazing how this was so quaint of the days of the NBA. He was a John Doe in the hospital. The head coach of the Lakers was a John Doe in the hospital. Um, has su- suffered severe brain trauma. Paul Westhead takes over. Runs Jack McKinney's system, leads the Lakers to the championship. McKinney is never brought back. Uh, said, wears out his welcome quick, and Riley comes in. So Riley just kind of resumed the system called. I mean, he start, they start calling it Showtime, but it really was Jack McKinney's system.
6: Is it, is it one year? I mean, it's one season, I should say, uh, as far as HBO. Is that the commitment right now?
7: Um, yeah, I think so. But it, I, 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 think the plan is to do more than one. Okay. So, um, yeah, I don't know what the contractually, what it is right now, but I think the plan is to do more than one. You get a cameo. I did get a cameo. Do you in the, play uh,
6: yourself in the series?
7: Well, I would have only been like six years old at the time, but I do play. <laughs> they let my, uh, I played, um, a reporter. My wife, Catherine was, uh, Rod Thorne's executive assistant during the draft and my kids played extras, uh, during a scene, uh, uh, in a hollywood set so it's been really cool it's been great
6: i was also wondering we brought this up like if you were looking at like kobe and Shaq, that that feels like that would be an interesting series i don't know I, if you right i mean i wrote a
7: book i wrote a book on the era. if they, if they <laughs> i welcome them to option three, that book. three ring no circus yeah 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 i have no problem with that yeah i agree with you sure just,
6: why not i was yeah. wondering is there another Let's say you could pick any other basketball. McLovin, do you have a couple?
5: Oh, I was saying, um, you know, the LeBron Heat team or maybe the Kevin Durant and the Warriors recently, like a Moneyball version of the Warriors. I don't know if there's any real drama there. LeBron going back to the Cavs?
7: Mm. I mean, I heard you guys talking about it. I wrote a book. My first book was about the 86 Mets, and that book has been optioned about 73,000 times. And the Mets have always just been a pain in, pain in the butt about it. I'm hoping new ownership maybe, but but I think the 86 Mets oh are a great, God. great story.
6: I don't know if we ever crossed paths, but I, I was working at CNN and uh, covering the Mets back then. And I, I like there's stories I can't tell, but I mean, it was crazy. Yeah, it, one time I was in uh, Chicago, I can tell this and this isn't bad, but I see Lenny Dykstra at the China Club and Lenny has a dip He's got a cigarette and he's got a drink and he had like all the vices. Well, all the vices I knew of back then, but he had it all going on. And uh, I I just remember whenever you were around these people, they were all, there were big person, even Gary Carter, you know, kid was straight as can be, but he was a big personality. Then you had Gooden who was private, you know, strawberry, you're never quite sure. Keith Hernandez, I was never quite sure. Roger McDowell, you know, Danny Heap, Jesse. Like, there are all these personalities here. How did you kind of keep track of, you know, who to go to and who who not to go to?
7: I just want to say, I just said to someone the other day, and I bet you'd agree with this. If you had said to someone in 1986, which of these players is going to pass first, Gary Carter would have been the last guy in that list. Yeah, It just would have been the last guy. He was a straight, living, clean, blah, 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 blah. My favorite Dykstra is... um he, they were at a golf club one time and there were a bunch of priests in the golf club. I don't know why playing golf or whatever. And um, in the clubhouse. And Lenny he goes to a friend, watch this. And he walks up to the priest, lifts a leg and just drops a huge fart in front of the priest. Like he was the most vile, but entertaining. He'd be a great character in a movie. Oh. I just, I, I think that, that that team was just stuffed with characters, as you noted. But you
6: had 86 Mets, 86 New York Giants. And they only won one. And I kept thinking both of those underachieved with the talent that they had. But if you had LT with Parcells and the Giants, that might have been an interesting one as well. So you got agree. Yeah. Well, good luck with this, Jeff. Congrats. It's a great book. It's uh, Showtime Magic, Cream Riley, and the uh, L.A. Laker Dynasty of the 1980s. And uh,
1: now it's been greenlit by HBO. Thank you, Jeff. All right. Thanks, Tim. All right.
2: Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or
0: someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, everybody, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. I know what you're saying. Flag on the play. You've already talked about that. But there's just so much more good stuff in this game. In Monopoly Go, you can team up with friends for time tournaments
6: To get Miller Lite delivered right to your door, visit MillerLite.com slash Patrick. Or you can pretty much find it anywhere that sells beer. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories for 12 ounces. Fewer calories, fewer carbs than premium regular beer. Miller Lite. Dick Vitale is the color analyst on ESPN. And uh, the Hall of Famer, Dickie B joining us on the program. <laughs> Dick, good morning. What do you remember about that first game on ESPN?
8: Well, I remember getting there real late, Dan. I had no idea that production meetings, nobody ever told me anything. It was like chaos. So I'm walking the streets of Chicago. Finally, I come to the game. This is a true story, Dan. I come to the game about 6, oh, around 6.20, 6.30, and the producer's going nuts. There's no iPhones in a day. He said, we've been trying to call the hotel, leave him out. I said, I haven't been at the hotel. I said, we walking the street. I said, what's the big problem? "So we got a game. I said, we got over an hour to go. What we? I said, I'm just going to talk basketball. I had no clue what I was doing. Uh, guys talking in my ear. You know, They hired jocks like us out of the locker room. And the critics start critiquing. I was looking. that era because we didn't have critics then writing all those columns but it worked out 42 years dad in a bank and i just signed an extension so i really i've been blessed i've been blessed man working with guys like you over the years and different colleagues that have helped me so much and i've been a lucky guy but
6: did anybody try to make you a little more polished when you first started out
8: you know not really i think they all told me basically uh, i remember scotty connell always telling me you know you got three things he was like trying to convince me not to go back coaching in college I wanted to coach in college that's where I belong that's where I felt my enthusiasm belong not the NBA and got the Ziggy in the NBA after 12 games of my second year and I was down I was really depressed then I, I tell you I was sitting home uh, feeling sorry if it wasn't my wife kicked me out of the house practically When Scotty called me up to say, I want you to do our first game, uh, he heard about me because my last game as a college coach, we played number one Michigan in the Sweet 16 when it was the University of Detroit, and they decided to televise the game. It was NBC, Scotty Connell doing the game. I was in awe. John Wooden's the the analyst. Kurt Gowdy, the (laughs) legendary the play-by-play. And I, Dan, this is a true story. I called a meet, a, my team over. I asked Scotty, I said, can I have my, share a few words to my team about the two gentlemen doing our game? And I give a five-minute speech about how in sports we use the term greatness so often. I said, but this epitomizes greatness. Right here, 10 national championships, all kinds of Emmys in sports. Right, I said, I'm honored. I'm in my 30s then. People think I'm enthusiastic. now. you shouldn't see me then. So we go out. And it was a big game for us because it was David Goliath. They wouldn't play us. My first year there, we beat them and upset them, Michigan, with Campanella Russell, remember him? Yeah. And we beat them. And after that, I couldn't get Johnny where to get him on the schedule. So my players, all that year, we won 21 in a row. We beat Marquette and two months later, won the national championship. We beat Arizona. We beat Michigan State. And my players would come in every day. Coach, Coach, why can't we play Michigan? They're number one in the country. We're as good as they are. We play with those guys in the summer. I said, man, I don't want to hear it. They don't want to play us? I can't hear it. My assistant runs in after the season's over, and he hears that the pairings are out. And he comes running in my office, and he says, y'all going to believe this? If we get to the Sweet 16, we play Michigan. Oh, my God, I called the team meeting. I got all the players down there. <laughs> I said, you want Michigan? There they are. Well, we play that game and we lose a heartbreaker i was told later by scotty that when i got fired by the pistons and he called me up i wrote your name down because kirk county and john Wooden were leaving the arena so i love that guy's passion and spirit and he said you should hire him scotty and tv so i just been named the head of a new network for remotes hiring talent all this. and he said i'd like to hire you to do your first game oh that's about well, who and he says, ESPN. I said to him, the true story there. I said to him, ESPN, that sounds like a disease. What the hell's ESPN? Are you kidding me? And you know what? It's been a disease for me. And the four letters for me have given me a life that's exceeded any dream I ever had.
6: What's the job you almost took to leave ESPN? Was there a head coaching job that you nearly left for?
8: A job I was trying to get. Nobody really knew it except one guy found out. They roasted me in Detroit, the university to make a lot of money. And I told him, if you roast me, I'm going to pick the roasties. I, Jimmy V was one of my guys I picked. So Jimmy V gets up. Now he wants to be last. There's Abe Lemons, Jimmy V, Chuck Bailey. Uh, oh, I had a hell of a cast, and we raised a lot of money. But Jimmy gets up to speak at the end. He made sure he said, I want to go last. He goes in his pocket, and he says, I want to read this letter to all you beautiful Titan lovers here in the University of Detroit about your coach here who you guys loved. He said, this is the letter. Dear Dick, we are sorry to inform you that we have decided to go in a way of hiring Jim Valvano as our next coach. State." He said, put this in your memory book. <laughs> and he said he found, when he got the job there, he found that letter in the files and he wanted to make sure I had it. But uh, I, I don't think I would have got the job at all, but that was a job I was interested in. But you know what, Dan? I, I didn't know. I did not know what Scotty meant. You know the business better than I and media. I just want to be a big guy talk about the game. And, and the, the bottom line is, he used to always say to me the first couple of years I was there, don't, you know, don't leave this. He said, you got something that's rare. You connect with people, whether they agree with you or disagree, they're going to the water cooler. And I said, you know what Dick Vitale said about that thing? And I didn't know what he meant. 1983, they assigned me ESPN, my first my first Final Four. I go there, Houston's playing down there, Jimmy V, Louisville, Georgia, and people coming up with pictures and autographs and all this. And I I couldn't believe that. And Scott, he says, did I tell you, can I? That was the moment that I said to myself, you know what? I love what I'm doing. And right now, I'll tell you what, they can talk about Krzyzewski. They can talk about all these great coaches and their records. I got the best damn record in 42 years. I haven't lost a game. I have not lost a game. And I coach every team in America, UCLA, Kentucky, North Carolina. I coach them all. You got
6: Gonzaga trying to go from, uh, you know, wire to wire here. And uh, I know we love to compare teams and generations. And, you know, to me, I just say, enjoy this. If Gonzaga goes undefeated, enjoy seeing something you haven't seen in a long time. Um Why is it we want to, it feels like people want to diminish what Gonzaga could be attempting to do. Uh, by going undefeated. Why is that?
8: Well, that's just sports fanatics, you know, sitting like right, when you argue, for example, a baseball player becomes great. How would he compare with Willie Mays? How would he compare with Mickey Mantle? That's just the way of life in sports. But I agree with Everything should be related to the era. Right now, they're the best of the best until so somebody can prove, can put them on an L on their register. I said before the season started, I said it during the season, and I said it basically before the tournament started, actually. I said, 32 and always happening. They're just that good. Offensively, Dan, they execute so well. There's a stat that really impresses me. They lead the nation in assists, 18 per game. You know what that tells me, Dan? They're unselfish. They share the ball. They love playing with each other. And they're much better defensemen than people believe. And then the cry you'll always get, well, who do they beat in their conference? Well, take a look what they beat pre-conference. Kansas blew, they took, they blew off them, they took out uh, uh, certainly Kansas, Virginia, my memory tells me, Iowa blew them off. They can play, they can play. They know what they got going as well, nobody talks about, I think they're fresh, because the conference wasn't as competitive as what you've seen in the Big Ten and these various conferences, so they come into the tournament, I think physically a lot fresher than other teams, and they're just a dynamite team. Now, would they be the greatest team of all time? I don't think there's any shape or form that they would beat. Lou Alcinda and UCLA. Because nobody, Lou Alcindor can take you, me, and take Todd Fritz, (laughs) your guy, take Paul. And you know what? We got a chance, Dad. We got a chance. (laughs) We're talking to Dick
6: Vitale, the ESPN College uh, basketball analyst, uh, signing a two-year contract extension at the Mothership. Three
8: years, Dan. three. three.
6: Oh, oh, wow. a mistake. (laughs) My bad. Uh, Wait, did ESPN make the mistake that you signed a three-year or two-year? Or did I make the mistake?
8: Uh you know, you were right in what you reported. There was an error there in the initial uh uh release press release. Uh, it okay. doesn't matter. Three yeah. years for, I hope I have another day tomorrow. And when you're eighty one years old, Dan, you just hope you have another day. <laughs>
6: <laughs> um I don't know if this is why Roy Williams retired, but he had one of his star players who is uh deciding to transfer, his seven footer out of Georgia. Um and this transfer portal was interesting with college basketball. Where do you, where is the sport headed with the transfer portal? We've seen this in football, certainly with quarterbacks now with uh, basketball players.
8: And it's the worst thing that's ever happened to college basketball. I just put up five tweets in a row today on Twitter. They go to Dickie V. They can see them five of them. How it's really got me now, to be honest with you, I'm upset big time about it. Because first of all, we're giving a bad message to kids. Look, I understand some cases transfer should happen. Just like I put on Twitter, in real life sometimes, the best thing for the couple is the divorce. I mean, that's just the way of life. So sometimes a transfer is good. Then I'll hear the argument all the time. Well, coaches leave and they're eligible right away to play. Why shouldn't players? Well, it's not apples to apples, Dan. We got right now, today, today, 1,100 players in the transfer portal. You don't have 1,100 coaches. Come on. So here, I I got a solution for that problem. If a coach leaves or if he's fired, those players should be automatically eligible to transfer if that's their desire. So now you wipe that argument out. It's creating such chaos. No stability. It used to be years ago, you know, a player's not getting play in time. And you can understand it. But now we got starters. They won't want to be recruited again, both being chased and dined and won. And no one's gonna get hurt the most in schools like Dayton, Detroit. They will get a player to rise to become a real star talent. You can guarantee word will get out to those kids. Hey, think about going to this school in the ACC or this school in the Big Ten, and kids are gonna jump. I think we're teaching kids, hey, we're teaching kids to quit when things get tough. Life is tough. Life's not all smooth. Right now, we got a pandemic that took close to 600,000 lives. we got people, friends of yours, friends of mine, lost their jobs. But you know what? you got to rally in tough times. They're teaching kids, oh, pack the bags, go. And if I were a coach today, you look at the kid the wrong way, he says, yo, I'm going to transfer Portland. I just think it's the worst thing hit college. And you know what? I had some calls yesterday from coaches. They're up to here with it. They're frustrated. You made a good point about Roy Williams. I certainly don't believe that's the only thing, but I got to believe I remember remember talking to Roy about, Oh God, a month ago before doing one of their games. And we were talking on zoom and we talked about the transfer portal and he's totally against it. I mean, it's, it's, it's just really not healthy. For the game of basketball, it's just not healthy at all. And I don't think it's healthy for everybody involved. Mark Few has said, has told me that he's had players transferred to him. Sitting out the year yeah. was the best thing that happened to him. And then we became pros. They developed. What happened about developing players?
6: Well, I don't know what's going to happen when we get rid of the one and done. Like, is basketball going to be better when we get rid of the one and done?
8: You know, I, I, I'm just worried about the state of the game. And I think what we need in basketball, and I put this up on Twitter too, we need a czar. We need somebody representing college basketball, dealing with the NCAA, dealing when issues come up, dealing with the NBA about the one and done. And I got the perfect candidate. I mean, he can't get a better candidate. Jay Billis. Roy Williams. No, Roy Jay Williams. Billis. Well, Jay would be great too. No, he's a lawyer. Yeah, but Jay isn't going to give up the luxury of TV for that. Boy, Williams <laughs> though is available. Why would Jay give up working the TV? It's like stealing money working what we do. <laughs> uh, I I would
6: love to see Billis in that role because you know you got to listen to both sides and uh, you know I always appreciate that Billis has a well thought out answer and I just don't think I think that the NCAA is rudderless. There, there's there's nobody guiding the ship here. And that's what concerns me, not just basketball, but sports, you know, across the board.
8: Yeah, I I agree with you a lot about JJ. He's a brilliant mind, does a great job. He's just not going to leave for something like that. But I will tell you this. I will tell you this. I have a real problem with something else. You You got me today where I got fired up. Coaches out there have been allegations about cheating, about transcript frauds, all those factors. This happened. Five years ago, it's been discussed since the FBI investigation has started. And no decision's been made. Mm -hmm. Here it is five years. When do they make decisions, the NCA? I don't understand. You know, talking, they got to go to this committee, that committee. Give me a break. I mean, if you can't solve those problems within a year and a half, two years, there's something wrong something wrong with the system and the system's got to get fixed and they better get on this transfer portal thing. You know what, Dan? I think by come July, we'll have close to 2000 kids transfer. It's every day you pick it up. Another kid is I'm going to transfer portal. I'm going to get recruited again. Wow. Can you imagine, Dan? you playing a date and you're on a transfer portal. They'll all be chasing you for that jump shot. Yeah. They,
6: they wanted me to get in the transfer portal, Dick. They, <laughs> they asked me to leave. That was the problem. Yes. <laughs> uh, Hey, congrats, uh, on the contract extension and, uh, always, always great to talk to you, Dick. Thank you.
8: Well, thank you so much. And one last thing, if I could just say this to you, Dan quickly, if people can help me raise money for kids battling cancer, for the v foundation just go to dick they can make a donation it goes to the v foundation so far we raised 37 million dollars and i need a lot of help right now especially with the pandemic so go to dick thank
1: you buddy be sure to catch the live edition of the dan patrick show weekdays at 9 a.m eastern 6 a.m pacific on fox sports radio and the iHeartRadio radio app